every bit of that reality is actually meant to help people with that wheel of life where we can incorporate the idea of alignment and that starts with the body it starts with what we're eating it starts with that movement but what i would like for all of my clients is what i get to feel which is and i and i had to work on it you know for over a decade is everything is actually the way that i want it to be are an inspiring group of people, every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that, I can help people, I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence so you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I am live on the line with Janice Isaman. Janice, are you there? I am. Awesome. And did I get your name correct? You didn't, but that's okay. <laughs> so how, how are you supposed to say it? You're supposed to say it, and I do put that in quotations, Eisman. Eisman. Okay. I generally check before time, before time, and I forgot today, so I just went with it. So okay. Janice Eisman. Um, so for those of you who've been following along with our podcast um, and our, my wife and I's travels, we are still stuck in Kissimmee for our travels, but we are finally out this next week. We're going down to the uh, to uh, the Keys, which should be fun. Where are you uh, coming in from, Janice? I'm in Calgary, which is in Alberta, which is in Canada. Alberta. So you're on the other side of the uh, the border. How's um, is it starting to get cold there yet? Yes. <laughs> yes, we we do start winter a little earlier than you will be in Florida. So I have I have a good friend of mine who lives up in Toronto and I always tease her whenever winter comes around because she starts taking like pictures of you know like she's going for a walk and there's like 7 feet of snow and I'm like people go outside then? and she's like wait you don't go outside um, so my my favorite little meme is uh there's there's a meme that goes around um every winter that i always send it to her and it's it's a uh and like an iced over lake and it's got a fishing hole in it and some guy pops out of it and then hops up onto the ice and then skates away and the, the meme the title of the meme says another canadian was born yes <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's it. That's how it happens. This is how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, so what I want to do for um, our audience, Janice, is just go through a brief introduction so those of us who don't know who you are get an idea, and then we'll dive and talk about your story. So, Janice is the founder of My Body Culture, which is a one-on-one -on -one private studio. You provide customized, individualized movement and nutrition coaching, and you have certifications um, which includes ADP, Critical Alignment, Yoga Therapy, Rainbow Kids Yoga, STOTT Pilates, I don't know what that is, STOT, um, TRX Suspension Training, Yo oh, well, there's lots of these, I don't know what, Yamuna Body <laughs> Rolling, Yin Yoga, 
I mean, you've been quoted in all sorts of places that I've actually heard of. So Reader's Digest, Prevention, Women's Health, Cosmopolitan, Working Mother, uh, Spark People, My Fitness Pal, and even Beach Body. Your unique discipline agnostic approach has helped hundreds of people navigate their body issues through education and movement techniques to full body sustainability. You're also a speaker, a facilitator, instructor, and a mother, and now, of course, a podcast guest, which I assume is something you do pretty regularly. Yes, this is true. <laughs> so... Um, Janice, to start off with, what I'd like to do is find out what is it that you're known for? Um, so basically, who, you know, who are you now? What is it that you do? What do you sell to, to people? What problems do you solve? That kind of stuff. I solve the greatest problem. I work with people who come in in pain. And I think that is the greatest problem because that is the moment that they are not functioning at their best. And when I describe pain, it's usually those aching, nagging sensations in the back. So that's low back, mid back, upper back, it's shoulders, it's neck, it's hips, it's knees. It's all of those places in our body where we, a lot of us just kind of hope that they go away and spontaneously <laughs> disappear and then they don't. And Typically, I work with clients who have gone to at least one other practitioner. That's not mandatory, but typically they have gone to one of a chiropractor, an acupuncturist, a massage therapist, another discipline like that. And I actually work with a lot of those practitioners myself. We refer clients back and forth. I have gone to those kinds of practitioners myself. But what generally happens is those practitioners will work on a client's body and then that client will go and sit at their desk for eight or 10 hours and that problem comes back. So I help them really build the musculature and decompress the joints and tissues that are actually creating the underlying problem. So they can often continue to work with those other practitioners and get deeper results. But the work that I'm really doing is getting them back on their feet, getting rid of those aches and pains, getting rid of those problems that are actually starting to interrupt life because it's not fun to sit at your desk for eight or 10 or 12 hours with a sore neck or a sore back. It's just not. No, not at all. Yeah. It reminds me, uh, um, I mentioned before we got on the call that, uh, um, that I have a, a coach, a, a coach and, you know, like body professional that I work with as well. And one of the things he just had me start doing was, um, he called it a foundational training, which is like, it's like a 12 minute stretch exercise that's basically yeah. designed to like strengthen and align all the spine muscles yeah. um, for that exact reason, right? It's like, it's like the underlying problem for the, a lot of these aches and pains is, is those kind of things. And you gotta, if you get the muscles right and stretched properly and working properly, then they can handle sitting down for a little while or. This is it, this is it. Yes, I talk about fitness as a bit of a pyramid and people often will kind of start at the top of the pyramid. So we'll go to fitness classes and we'll go to spinning and we'll grab the weights. And those are great things to do. But if we're in pain, we're building strength on top of pain. We're not taking the pain away. And so if a lot of that pain is actually because everything's compressed, then we're actually adding to the problem. And so I'm a huge fan of all kinds of working out styles, but we need to really work on that base of the pyramid. When we're in our twenties, we often can just go do that when we are not in our 20s anymore, yeah. that's when those problems start to really become <laughs> an that was That was a big, a big wake-up call, getting into my early 30s and realizing that, oh, not everything just works anymore. You have to actually like try, and if you don't try, things hurt. 
that's right. think a lot more before you go jump off of buildings or swing off of trees or whatever else you might uh that's right without a thought when you were in your 20s <laughs> it's not quite this spontaneous remission that we often do remember from our 20s <laughs> but i think that's another yeah. that's a huge myth that we have to be uncomfortable and achy and in pain for 30 to 50 years of our life because we are older so i hear clients say that sometimes. yeah yeah that's i'm over 35 this is just what we expect and it, and it really shouldn't be a functional body can happen at any age and a pain-free body can happen at any age yeah that was that was one of the things that really surprised me right because i i came into working with him thinking i was healthy right like you know you think you're healthy kind of thing and and you realize that like i was i was just on a downward trajectory because of things that I was doing and not really thinking about it, right? So sure. you're like, you're at healthy and unhealthy is down here, but if you're heading that direction. <laughs> you'll eventually intersect with it, yes. Yeah, I think, yeah, you'll eventually I think a lot hit of that, that point. I think a lot of that is, there is a, there's kind of a fitness over culture and we get all of these different messages and we are told that if it doesn't hurt, we're not actually being effective. So then when it hurts, we think, well, okay, this, this must be the way. <laughs> so, and yeah. it really, and it really isn't because we shouldn't be waking up with a stiff neck. We shouldn't be throwing our back out because we turn to reach for something on the desk. Those are beyond what we're looking for in yeah, terms yeah. of pain and things like that. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's certainly fascinating to go from like where you, where you're sort of like on a slow downward trajectory to sort of changing out where you're you're getting healthier. I'm healthier now than I think I ever have been, um, which is cool. Um, but it's also like you know, sleeping better and you work better and like the workout programs that you've got me doing. Like, there's no pain involved, right? It's like you don't have to have pain for growth, um, which is apparently that's a misnomer. Um, it is. That you're that like, is. All of my yeah. clients are surprised by that actually you don't even need to sweat to get great growth and change in the body yeah yeah um so we've been he's been putting me through some pretty simple it's like it doesn't even take 10 minutes a day and like i'm seeing massive changes which is crazy so anyways that's that's just sort of like personal experience lines up with a lot of what you're teaching and doing and i think personally after having gone through it even though it wasn't with you i think everyone should find someone who teaches what you teach i agree and start, I of course agree. start learning it yeah yeah. Yeah. Actually, I had some conversations this week that were about the idea that we didn't have time to work out and work on our bodies. And that is another huge myth that we need to carve out that hour. And the truth is so many people, especially in that 35 to 55 year old age range where we're raising kids and building our assets and working on our career, that energy and time maybe doesn't exist, but that doesn't mean that we should do nothing and in fact those shorter periods are often often more effective we don't need that full hour if you have it and or you enjoy it great but that's a huge myth that's been given to us and and so many people just give up because they don't feel like they have it yeah yeah so what's crazy to me is like the workout that i that he's got me doing in the morning it takes like seven maybe ten minutes if your child interrupts you kind of thing and i'm <laughs> like that's such it's such a short amount of time that you can just fold it into your morning routine like it's nothing. Exactly. Right? Like you, know, you brush your teeth, minutes. you comb your hair, you put on your shirt, and you do you do seven to ten minutes of this workout, and you move on. Exactly. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I had a 14-minute routine for a long time, and it was quite effective. I do a different routine now because I have found a bit more time, and I'm teaching more clients online and doing it with them. But seven minutes, 10 minutes, 14 minutes can actually make significant changes in the body. Yeah, yeah. I have uh, biceps for the first time in my whole life. Yes! (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) That's always fun. Um, So... Uh, what I want to talk about next then is your origin story, right? So we say on the show, every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. And we basically want to hear that story. Were you bit by a uh, radioactive spider that made you want to become a fitness coach? Were you born a hero? <laughs> or did you start in a job and eventually, you know, move on to the entrepreneur career path? Uh, basically, we just want to know where you came from. Well, I have a lot of little elements to my hero story. So we're going to start the comic book um, on a farm. So I grew up on a farm. And that is something that I actually hadn't until very recently tied into my entrepreneur story. But farmers are entrepreneurs. So I grew up with parents who work for themselves. And frankly, I didn't really realize the difference. But now that I have spent eight years as a full-on entrepreneur, a lot of what gives me the resilience and the ability to continue day to day is just those lessons that I was actually handed as a child without even realizing I was being exposed to that. But basically I got off the farm as quickly as I could, (laughs) fled to the city to go get educated. And at that point I was a super non-athletic child. So my superhero cape did not involve any running, any jumping. I was not athletic in a very traditional sense to this day. If you throw a ball at me, it's likely to go over my shoulder or fall at my feet as opposed to me being able to hit it back. So I was definitely that child who was sitting in my high school phys ed teacher's office crying because my phys ed mark was literally pulling down my average. So I headed into school to get a Bachelor of Commerce and found that I really like running. So this was something totally new to me. We hadn't really explored that in phys ed class. And because I didn't come from that athletic background, if I knew then what I know now, I actually ended up injuring my knee. And I could tell you now it was because the rest of my leg muscles weren't in condition to actually be running up and down hills. But I developed a syndrome called runner's knee. And essentially, That is a, it's classic symptomology of the glutes not functioning in a runner's body. So I would run, then it would hurt to walk up and down stairs, it would hurt to sit, it would hurt to study, et cetera. And I did exactly what I described that my ideal clients do. I went to a whole bunch of therapists and trainers and different places. I went to this crazy old sports doctor who told me to tie a rope with a rock and do some leg things. And I knew that there must be a better way. So this was um, in the 1990s and I ended up at a Pilates studio and immediately fell in love with the work and decided that at some point I would like to become not only a teacher, but actually a studio owner. Um, And back in those days, we had magazines and nobody really talked about vision boarding, but I would just create my own little magazines of things that I wanted in my life. And I pasted that in and I would kind of carry it around my pocket. And 10 years passed, I went forward with a completely different career path. And I ended up eventually living in Toronto, (laughs) the home of your friend. Um, And 
I was working in the media and knew that I was actually going to be moving to New York. So the very last year that I lived there, uh, Toronto is actually the headquarters of the world's largest global Pilates brand, Stout Pilates. And I decided that I needed to either kind of get this little image that was in my pacebook out of the pacebook or move on and do my training. So for a year, I would literally ride my bike. Um, it was about a mile up a hill and took my Pilates training. I had no intentions of becoming a teacher. I just knew it was good for my body. I loved the work, et cetera. And then I moved to New York and I continued adding some of those trainings that were on your list, but I also continued my, my media job. And eventually I decided to make that jump into being a full-time entrepreneur. So after six years of getting all of my training, buying equipment, really, this was just a personal passion in my, in the back of my head. But when I moved to Calgary and I saw kind of what I owned, the equipment and the certifications and the fact that I had client experience, I had actually been working towards that for about six years before I actually made the jump to full-time entrepreneur. So I left my corporate job and rented a commercial space and never looked back. So that's a, that's a fun story um, all the way through, right? Just the thing that popped in my head, by the way, when you were said you were you were not very athletic as a child, my wife says the same thing, but her phrase her phrase always cracked me up. You might enjoy it. She said she had the athletic ability of a flat rock. Someone <laughs> threw her hard enough she could skip across the lake, but that was about it. Yep, me too. So I laugh about that to this day because although I do work with some very athletic people, um, by the time I figure an exercise out, by the time I've kind of broken it down into my own body, I can teach it to literally anybody. So I, that is one of my greatest yeah. assets is actually not being athletic. And I've heard it said, and it's super true. If you want to find out how to get great results from somebody in terms of your athleticism and your body, you go to the person who had to struggle with it. You don't go to the, to the guy who's always been built or the woman yeah, who's always, always been fit and fit because that's <laughs> genetics. You're never going to learn that, but working with somebody who's actually come through that struggle you're had to fight for it. What's that? Someone who had to fight for it. Totally. Yes. Yeah. 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 So speaking of fighting for it, how, how, was, how was that transition from being someone who was working in a corporate environment to starting your own business? Um, is that something that was a struggle, something you had to fight for as well, or was it an easy transition for you? It was a bit of both. So I've always been told that starting your business business is very, very hard. And I actually didn't find it hard, but there were things about it that I didn't really expect. And what I'm about to say sounds really silly because we all know this, but it just was unexpected to me. So I didn't really expect how much time doing basic things like cleaning the floor were going to take. I didn't expect how much time applying for the business license and working with insurance companies and doing all the marketing, et cetera, we're going to take. So I knew that I had to do those tasks, but I think it's that long-term week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, where you are responsible for all of those things that to this day still catches me off guard. So eight years later, I'm still like, what? Wow, this really takes a lot of time. <laughs> so it, I, yeah, it, yeah. I, I, was, I was legitimately, before we got on the call, working on budgeting, right? Because that's the thing you have to do. 
It is a thing. There's a lot of things. And so I think that in a corporate environment, even if you think that you're doing it all, you're not doing it all. You don't think about where the phone line comes from. You don't think about who is renewing the domain name. You don't think about the website. You don't think about the phone number and paying the phone bill. So there is probably a thousand tasks that are just handled in that corporate environment um, that actually add up to a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, that's a um, that's like my my current struggle in my business is learning how to get as many of those things off of my plate and into capable team members' hands that are well trained and um, and can do those things. And like that's that's an, that's another interesting struggle that you don't ever really have in the corporate side. That's right, because right? someone else does that. Someone else does that and they're good at that. And I mean, I've had a couple of hires or whether they be staff members or contractors and that's a skill set that, you know, I'm not an HR department. So it's a, it's a skill set that as an entrepreneur, we don't have a lot of wiggle room to make a mistake. And if you make a mistake because you don't have the skill set yet, those are very expensive to a small business. They're expensive, but you learn the lessons quick that way. This is true. <laughs> yeah. You pick up the skill sets because you're like, oh, I'm not going to do that again. This is true. Yes, this is true. Uh, and I think probably everyone who runs a business who has just heard that probably had something pop in their head and be like, yep, I've done that. <laughs> We've all done this. Yes, yes. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit then about your superpowers, right? Every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's a fancy flying suit made by a genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. Um, in the real world, uh, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, right? It's a skill or it's a set of skills that you're either born with or you developed over time um, that really energize all of your other skills, right? It's like the common thread through all the things that you do and you realize, oh, you know what? That's probably the one thing that really lets me be do what I do. Um, so the superpower is what sets you apart. It allows you to help your clients, the people in your world, slay their villains, so to speak, um, and come out on top of their own journeys. So with that sort of framing, what do you think your superpower is? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things I was going to say. Um, classically and historically, stubbornness wasn't seen as a superpower. My parents certainly did not think so when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually one of my core assets. So when I set my mind to something, it is going to happen. And that is that. So I would call my, if I had a little cape, it would be Captain Stubborn. <laughs> so I identify that with that a lot, but it wasn't, it didn't really become a thing in my life that I was aware of until I had my second child, who was oh. just as, if not more stubborn than I am. Yes. And when you realize, oh, that's me. Yeah. Like, that's what <laughs> that, yes. and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a stubborn SOB and I'm being paid back for it right now. This is true. I actually laughed because I totally gave birth to a little clone, which actually makes it easier to parent a child who's just like you because my parents never really understood me in that sense. But, and I do understand my son, but yes, sometimes I'm like, ah, <laughs> this will be an asset when you're an adult. This will be an asset when you're an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yep, but they're they're very very stubborn and i was i was definitely like that as a child too i was one of those one of those kids that i was like once i set my mind to it it was gonna happen yes one way or the other i was gonna find a way to do it and figure it out and my problem my parents had with that was that the things i chose to be the things that were gonna happen were not like normal things yeah <laughs> right they were like 
I, I was the kid who was trying to start a business at 13. And they were like, you can't start a business because you're not legally old enough to sign documents. And I was like, I'll find a way. I'll find a way. Anyways, yes. Even when I was opening my studio, I still would settle my mind on ridiculous things. I wanted a, a white leather carpet in my front entrance. I mean, there is a reason that they don't really make white leather carpets. And to try to buy one in Canada is... <laughs> <laughs> is a whole other component to it. So some of the things that I am stubborn about are ridiculous, like the white leather carpet, which by the way, I found one. Um, and Did other it things, out? yeah, it's great. But I, f I figured out why they don't really make many of them because people like to walk in and walk on it. And I'm always like, get off the white leather carpet <laughs> um, because you can't really clean white leather rugs and I'm like okay I, I see why this is not a fully available thing but there's other there's other ways in which that resilience really pays off so that's my little that's that's one of my zone of geniuses so so what do you think is probably one of the biggest things in your business that's helped with um I'm gonna give a very recent example but COVID so I was I was online and serving clients within three hours of being shut down because I just knew this is, we're, we're flipping the switch. The doors are shut. We have to serve clients. I have clients now. Let's solve the problem. And so rather than getting caught up in the problem, that stubbornness says, go find the solution because you cannot. Do it now. Yeah. <laughs> in that case, yes, it was do it now. But there's been a lot of instances where, I mean, the, the statistics say that businesses, many businesses close within five years. And I fit in the subcategory of being a single parent and 95% of those businesses don't actually remain in operation. I can see why, but I have an attitude and a spirit that says, I will not fail. And when that is present, that means you go looking for the solution. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, one, of, one of the things that I, I used to as a younger entrepreneur, I was naive. And I thought that anyone could be a business owner, right? Anyone no. could do this. No. And if they just had the right training or the right things that they could do it. And I, I realized as I've grown up that, uh, that that's not true. No. Um, it's more true that anyone, like a great business owner can come from anywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's not true that anyone can do it. No, <laughs> it takes a lot of um, inner reserves to actually tolerate this is where and I was risk I, risk tolerances and other okay. things. That's where I think that farm background is really, really um, it's in me to a deep level because we would have years when very unexpected things would happen. The crops would get hailed out. There wouldn't be enough rain, things like that. And you know, you're sitting on a piece of land on you go. And so that's the difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur says this will not be, when I'm hailed out, we will still plant next year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the flip side, of course, of your superpower is your fatal flaw. So just like every Superman has his kryptonite and every Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, you probably have a flaw that's held you back in your business, right? Something that you've struggled with. Maybe it's, for me, it was a couple of things, things like perfectionism that kept me from shipping product, right? I would always want to tweak and play with it before I'd ever actually ship it and get it to the market. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or uh, 
lack of self-care, um, which meant that I let my clients walk all over me, right? Um, it's just one way that, that comes about. Um, or, you know, being a visionary, like you have big visions, but then you really, really suck at the minutia. Um, so things will never get done. Right? Yeah. So I think more important than the flaw is how have you uh, worked on it? So our audience who might be listening can learn a little bit from your experience. I relate to everything you said. Um, actually, this is my second business and the first one failed because of all of those things. So I could list any of those, but I'm going to list something for my present business. And that is, I struggle actually with structure. So I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs are really great at being nonlinear. We can vision things. We can be in this flow and this creativity. I can execute my client sessions because I don't come in with a plan. I don't have it all kind of written down. So when it comes to emails and admin and accounting and actually executing those, it, it is something I fight with, I struggle with, it exhausts me. Um, and so I have, currently I'm actually working with a life coach to try to mind that balance. And somehow I think I think it's that I say yes to everything and then there's too many things and then I look at all the things and I get exhausted by the things. So I am constantly trying to improve my skill at being able to load my plate, still have that say yes attitude, but actually rid some of that admin. And I have outsourced admin before, but it doesn't really take care of the problem because it, it just, you know, client bookings all come through me. It doesn't matter how much I have an assistant to do it. It still all comes through me because I have that direct one-to-one -one relationship with my clients and all of those things still swirl in my head. I'm still responsible for them all. So just that, you know, that's, that's my solution to it at the moment is actually getting the life coach to learn the underlying skill of this might feel urgent and important, and it actually could sit in a slightly different box or come off the list altogether. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really interesting skill is learning how to, I call it learning how to say no or when to say no, Yes. Um, I think is more important. Um, and so it's not just that you like, you have to learn what, what you can say no to and also yeah. when you should say no to them. Um, yeah. And and because being an effective business owner, effective entrepreneur, a lot of times is learning what to cut out. Right. So you can yes. focus on just the, the core things that you need to be focused on. Absolutely. And I think that all of the conversation around that says to outsource it all, but that costs a lot of money to outsource it, even if the dollars per hour is relatively inexpensive. So instead of outsourcing, I'm kind of hitting it underneath and just trying to learn what even needs yeah, to yeah. be there. And then and, I can outsource what needs to be there as opposed to saying, oh, this all needs to be there. Let's outsource it, which is what I've done in the past. And outsourcing also has with it a idea of scale that may yeah. or may not be in your goals. Correct. Correct. Um, and so for someone like me who's trying to scale, outsourcing more is, is uh, an, an important skill to learn alongside that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but to your point, just because it's being done doesn't mean it should be getting done and paying someone else to do something that shouldn't be done is just as bad, if yes, not worse than absolutely. doing it yourself. Absolutely. Yes. And so I think that if I was to kind of go back five years, I would have done what I'm doing now back then to try to 
I, I don't even know if it's going to make the list shorter, but hopefully it makes it feel more manageable and then look at what I need to do to, to manage it as opposed to just saying continuing forth and trying to chuck pieces at someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so just because just I sort of, I feel like this fits along the same line. Um, when it comes to scale and the type of services that you offer, are you are you ever looking at bringing more people in to teach or to train, train them what you do? Um, or are you looking to keep it as as just you and your one-on-one -on -one kind of stuff? That's an awesome question because I actually had stuff and then I downsized them. I got rid of them. Um, that for me was not an enjoyable piece of my business and it had nothing to do with the particular humans that I hired. I still keep in touch with them. I think they're phenomenal people. They have bright careers and are just awesome, but it just wasn't for me. Um, I have a very small space and a very particular work technique and a particular relationship with my clients that is actually really hard to replicate. So when I first opened, my idea was to have six locations to train people to do it. And then I realized um, actually that human management component wasn't, uh, it wasn't actually generating a ton of revenue because it would take away from my billable hours to manage the staff who were actually earning less money than I was. Um, and then it just, I mean, my child is nine now and my business is eight years old. And so if you dial back a few years, I had a small child and I felt like I was going to work managing the humans there and coming home and managing the humans here. And I just had nothing left for me. So it was a very, very difficult decision, but I decided that that actually was not going to be my growth model. My growth model was going to be in digital, in speaking, in writing, in actually branding myself. And it took me a couple of years to really get there, but now I'm here and I'm not, planning to look back. I mean, never say never, but <laughs> yeah. And I'd imagine like a more group programs and things like that, that allow you to scale sort of scale the income without scaling your business beyond Correct. yourself and maybe a VA or two. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. There's, yeah. there are ways when you are a single person business to actually generate additional revenue. I have moved into product sales. I teach other instructors, but that's a, it's a, it's a program that they sign up for take and then go off and do their own thing, not at my business. Um, I do have a writing income. I have group programs that exist online. And then I still have the core business, which is one-to-one. -one. Now I can do that digitally though, which is also awesome. What's, what's interesting too, is you probably have found that as you've built yourself up as an expert in your space, that it's easier to build a calendar for your one-on-one -on -one stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I do find with that, I have a very specific service. So I'm working with people who want body sustainability. And to your point, that doesn't need to be an hour. It's definitely a way of thinking. It's definitely somebody who is coming in looking for a solution, not necessarily for, I have an hour and I need to do this certain technique. I need to take a spin class. It's, I want a solution to feel better and to make my life work better. Show me how. Um, the clients who do come in have clearly followed my Instagram or Facebook. They've clearly read my website. They know what they're buying. They know who they're buying. And it's just, it's a, it's a perfect fit. Whereas I found before 
it was definitely a wider breadth and range of clients. And now it's everyone is right on target and they were just such they know, a great They know match. exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's like that sustainability point is such a key thing. So I know like when I started working with the, the coach I'm working with, one of the things that like I was asking for and why we fit together so well is because I was like, I don't want to learn how to do a diet or how to do specific exercises. I want to learn how to eat in such a way that is sustainable. Like I want to retrain my, my relationship with food so that yeah. it can just be a forever relationship and it's Perfect. always good and healthy. Right. Yes. And I want to have retrain my, my thinking on, on uh, working out and, you know, taking care of my body. So it's just, it's a sustainable thing. Not it's like, you know, I'm going to do a spin class or do yoga for six weeks and then go on to something else or. Correct. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that approach, but, but yes, just you're right. And I consider myself almost more of an educator than I do a, you know, some people ask me if I'm a personal trainer. I mean, it's, it's not unlike that, but I would call myself much more of a teacher an educator than a trainer or a fitness instructor, because it's really about that deeper underlying education that allows somebody to then walk away and apply those principles themselves as opposed to and 10, nine, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So actually, I think that's a good transition for my next question, which is your common enemy, right? So every superhero has an arch nemesis, right? Yes. It's the thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world, right? Yeah. So in the world of business, it takes on many forms, but generally speaking, we're putting it in the context of your clients, right? The people that you're working with on a daily basis. And it's a mindset or it's a flaw that they're coming to you with, right? That you're constantly like banging your head against the wall and going, you know, I wish I could just make this go away. And if you had your magic wand and you could bop all your new clients on the head with it and it would just wouldn't be a thing you had to deal with. Yeah. Right? So you could get them better, cheaper, faster, higher degree of results. What is that common enemy that you always have to fight against with new clients? Well, last year and the year before, I would have actually told you it's the keto diet, but it, it pretty much died with the pandemic. So, it, you know, the, the pandemic killed it because the first thing people did was go to the grocery stores and wipe the shelves out of all the beans and oatmeal and all of the other carbs. <laughs> and I was laughing because I'm like, yeah, that, that was the quickest death of a, a, a fad diet that I've ever seen. Um, but it, it's basically the fitness, health, diet, overculture, which tells us that men need to be beefy. Whatever the fad diet that's happening right now. Right. And that there is this one singular magic solution. Um, I find that we're rolling through these a lot faster with the internet than we did a decade or two ago. Um, so, you know, in the past couple of years, we've gone gluten-free and then we had paleo and then we had keto and we've had the spinning class trend, et cetera. But basically all of Intermittent these- Intermittent fasting. Have you, you've seen the new one that's coming up, right? Is the uh, carnivore diet? Right, which is another iteration of same, same, same. And so basically it's people, people looking for, if I just do this thing for 30 days, the rest of my life, like my whole past is gonna be erased and this will be miraculously easy and and forever, which we know it's not going to be. Um, but, and that, that idea that comes along with it, you know, there's all these memes starting way back with Nike's just do it where we have to work our hardest and we have to have this discipline and we have to suffer and we have to actually even the fact that our bodies are supposed to only look this one certain way. So I want to get rid of that whole thing. I want to take fitness and diet 
bop it on the head and get rid of it. <laughs> so just, just out of curiosity, where, where do you think this um, obsession with suffering in order to be healthy comes from? I don't know, actually. That's a great question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to research that because I don't actually know. But it does it's, seem it's like... It's very people, common, at least yes. in our culture. Yes, it is. And that ends up being something that some of my clients end up being really uncomfortable with because they don't sweat. And there's some of them I have to almost hold their hand and say, trust me, this is going to get you results in six weeks and results that you don't even imagine right now because you're not grunting and groaning and sweating and moaning and and not to say that there isn't a level of discomfort it's just not what people expect could get them a result so i don't know that's some hangover from a puritanical idea but the puritans existed long before working out ever did so i don't really know where that came from it had to have been born in the 1980s because yeah, people didn't yeah. really work out before the 80s i mean Arnold Schwarzenegger was the 70s, but that was still not in common culture. People didn't run until the 80s or 90s. Aerobics was really a product of the yeah, 80s. 90s thing. 80s and 90s, yeah. So it had to have been somewhere in one of those decades that, you know, my first answer, and I don't even know if it's actually factually true, is we, we can blame Nike for their just do it mentality. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting mentality that we, just as a culture, we struggle with this idea that that change comes from struggle. Yeah. Um, and, like, there's some truth to that. There's there is definitely struggle in change, but um, sometimes the biggest struggle is here, right? It's just understanding yeah. what, the, what it is you need to change. Um, and I know, like, for me and for a lot of the coaches that I've talked to in this space, a lot of times, like, the biggest struggle is like is is learning how to change your relationship with exercise or change your relationship yeah. with food. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's not it's not the actual like the grunting and the sweating. It's the mental relationship you have with those things. The reality is that the way gyms are set up, and to be clear, I don't think the gym is a bad place, but less than twenty percent of people even have gym memberships, and then of the people who have gym memberships, there's a huge percentage that don't go. So the reality, factual evidence says most people don't like it. So instead of going and forcing yourself to exert all this willpower to like it, find something that is palatable, that is on the more enjoyable end, that maybe doesn't feel like you're being torn apart. <laughs> so whether that's taking a walk. I call it an athletic hobby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we need something to move our body and to eat in a, in a reasonable rational manner but it these things don't need to be on this extreme so i think it actually creates a mindset for people where they they think it either has to be this hard extreme program or else there's no point and that's not true yeah. one of uh one of the uh um, clients i had a couple of years ago um he was a uh, spiritual educator but one of the things he uh, he talked a lot about was health Right. And how important, you know, your body was to having a good spiritual relationship with with your creator and everything. And it's like if your your body is falling apart, you're going to have a really hard time doing these things. And um, he he mentioned uh, that the, that's where the athletic hobby thing came in. That was what, one of his biggest, biggest things that he talked wow. to people about. It's like 
you're like you don't you don't have to have like you don't have to do what everyone says you need to do you need to find something that you love to do yes right and for him it was tennis for me it's like kayaking and hiking with my kids those kind of things right and it's 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 something that's moving you right because we have with modern technology and all this kind of stuff and the work and everything we have very sedentary lives right? we so have, have very have something that, you know yeah that gets you up and gets you moving gets the body body going um and that's most of the battle won <laughs> absolutely at some point in the last six months i did a little presentation and i did some very rough math so this isn't statistically accurate but we have 24 hours in a day we sleep for eight that leaves us 16. uh the average person actually isn't achieving 10,000 steps in their fitbit but we're going to be generous and say that they are and we're going to be generous and say that this takes an hour and a half to do so that's leaving us 14 and a half hours where we are not in motion and if we actually say, okay, maybe some of that standing at the kitchen sink or standing, I don't know, standing somewhere, not moving, let's give that even another hour and a half just to be, you know, that, that still leaves 12 hours a day where we're sitting. And unless we actually make an active choice to change that, everything in our culture directs us towards our butts <laughs> and not in the good way. Yeah. So that is something i share widely now because i just don't think most people put it in that those mathematical terms most people don't self-identify as being sedentary but if we aren't getting ten thousand steps in our foot fitbit and or we're not actually engaged in an athletic hobby that's what the reality looks like you're sitting down for 12 to 14 hours a day and you're not going to have your yeah. optimal life you're not going to be optimally productive at work you're not going to have great relationships and all the way up that pyramid yeah yeah i do uh i do crazy small things to help with that um like i park in the you know the 1040 when you go to yeah. walmart so you have longer to walk and it's just because I, I like to have more opportunities to to walk more yeah. um or you know walk to go get the mail and you know whatever it's just you know, we have we have such easy access to everything that sometimes you just have to set yourself up to get a little bit more activity in during the day. That's right. And that's also where I actually feel like a large part of my job is just educating people about their body because we were never told what our body should feel like. We were never told. Um, most of us learn really basic musculoskeletal stuff like we know where our leg bone is and we we've heard of the abs but most people have never really learned anything of any practical substance when it comes to the body so i don't think that most of this is the reason that most people are sedentary and not getting in those little moments is because they actively choose not to i think we just didn't get that educational component and then we've been told well you need an hour or you might as well not bother <laughs> you know what i mean so it's yeah there is so much value in having that education matched with those little tiny steps that will get you 90% of the result that you probably want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's a, it's such an interesting, interesting like problem, right? Cause you, you think you get educated in school about things that you need, but then you get out into the real world and realize that like, well, you didn't learn how to do finances. You didn't really learn about diet. You didn't really learn how to take care of yourself. Um, and like, you might be able to identify all your major systems in your body, but you know, uh, do you actually know what they do or how they work or, Correct. or, uh, you know, what, 
what how your lifestyle impacts them. Correct. Um, and you don't until you start looking no. into it yourself. Correct. Yeah. So. And then I then I feel like you do need to seek that out. You need to seek out somebody who can help you with that education that you didn't get in school. And it's not the school's fault. That's just not how our society's set up. We learn math. <laughs> we yeah. learn social studies. We you know we learn the I learned the history of Brazil. That's not ever been useful for one day of my life, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's the kind of it's, stuff it's such an interesting it's such an interesting thing right because like you you it almost seems like like you know pe with physical education was like i remember like pe was like you're gonna swim for an hour or you're gonna play kickball for an hour or you're gonna like we didn't ever actually learn anything about our bodies no we didn't um and it would have been fascinating to actually like like learn about nutrition and learn about feeding yourself and learn about like actually you know how, how muscles grow and how you can impact that, that growth um, and those kind of things. And then like put them into practice in school. That would have been so much cooler than what we actually learned. Absolutely. And, and body awareness. I mean, a lot of what I do is actually education meaning body awareness because how do we know we can maintain our own body when we're aware. It's similar to being able to maintain a car or a home. Yeah. If I'm driving like, down like the, the road. sounds and whatnot, you hear a, a clank. Yes. You know, there's something wrong. Exactly. And so if somebody's, I have very low car knowledge. So, but I know a lot of people who have great car knowledge and they can identify based on the sound the car makes exactly what is wrong. I just hear a sound and I say something is wrong. Yeah. So like I can call my brother and hold the phone up to my car and be like, what is this? And he exactly. can tell me what's wrong with it. Exactly. So our bodies are actually the same way. So many of us actually have an awareness when we reach that pain level, like the transmission has fallen out of the car or the car is now parked. You have to get a tow truck. If there's a bone sticking out, you know, there's a problem. Exactly. But <laughs> everything leading up to that, our body's actually giving us a ton of signals and, and, but we were never taught what any of those meant. And so it's, ex everybody can relate to the car piece um, where you know, for, for task to maintain a car, we all know somebody who can identify all of that stuff and then actually preventatively maintain the car. I'm going to have to take it into the auto body shop once it's already wrecked. <laughs> so that's actually the approach that we have culturally taken for our body. We go to the chiropractor when we're already wrecked. We go to the massage therapist when things are damaged. Um, nobody is actually teaching us that underlying awareness of, hey, there's a little sensation of compression. There's a little sensation of rotation. What do you do about that before it actually becomes this epic crisis? And I mean, I don't, I don't begrudge these people this choice, but I've had people that leave those problems for 20 years. Well, at that point, the car is yeah, rusted. Yeah. It is like, it's a beater, right? And so then it's going to take a while to actually kind of get that vehicle functioning again. Whereas if we all just learned this when we were either kids or, you know, young adults, we would never get into that place in the first place, but it's never too late to learn it. Yeah. And one of the things that like fascinated me, right. Cause this is, this is journey I went on this year was like learning all of this stuff about myself. And I realized like a lot of things that I just thought were normal things like, like, uh, you know, took me a while to fall asleep. Right. Or having, um, you know, a little bit of pain in my shoulder from, you know, like injuries when I was younger. 
um, and uh, things like you know the the, hor the the things that go with hormone dips in your 30s when you uh, um, haven't taken care of yourself the way you should and like the re results of those kind of things like all those things you're just like this is all just normal stuff I'm aging right and right. you realize that those aren't yeah. this it's not it's not it's not a sign of aging no it's, it's not. a sign of like you have things to take care of that's right <laughs> that is actually the biggest you know I'm gonna change my answer when you said what what is the arch nemesis it's actually aging and it is the fact that 90% of people will chalk up anything negative that's happening in the body as aging. And, and it's because, again, we haven't actually been told, okay, this is something normal for aging, skin wrinkling. Eventually, we're going to get wrinkling skin. <laughs> that's normal for aging. But gaining weight every year, that's not necessarily normal. Not being able to sleep is not necessarily normal. Not having bladder control is not normal. Having aches and pains and stiffness and cracking and popping when you wake up, that's not normal. Um, but we kind of culturally assign all of that as well. You're old now. So, you know, live with that for the next 40 years. Yeah, and it yeah. doesn't have to and be. It was, it was really fascinating because like I learned all sorts of things that were like, that's actually a result of like, you have a parasitic load in your body. Like if we remove that, things change, right? You have toxic right. load in your body. So it's like, you know, shoulder acne and like my face is clearing up and like yeah. I have less wrinkles and all these kind of things. And, you know, come to find out the whole idea that like in your thirties, your testosterone starts to drop off. Or if you're a woman, your estrogen starts to drop off. That's not a thing. Like right. you can have your testosterone levels stay the same through your whole life if you take care of your body, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that, but when we're always told, um, that aging has all of this negativity associated with it. You just sort of intellectually flag everything that's happening in your body as, oh, okay, well, I guess this is the way it is. But when we also think yeah. about this, if this stuff starts happening at 30, 35, 40, that means we're living with it for 40 to 50 years. <laughs> that's longer than we did yeah. live with it. So that, that doesn't actually make rational sense, but it's what we've been told. So we yeah, yeah. and you have you have people like if Jack Lane can swim the English Channel at ninety five or whatever, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so I think you said something super important. That's our body giving us information. That's the car making a noise, saying, "Hey, there's a little clunk back here." And I wouldn't expect an average person to just completely ignore the clunk in the car, but that's what we do in our body, and we say, "Oh, it's just old." Um, even though thirty five is actually not old. 95 is old, but 35 is not. Um, but it's, it's just so interesting because with our belongings, our physical belongings, we wouldn't just say, well, I'm just going to ignore that or I'm going to disregard that information. But we do that in our bodies. We don't yeah. think about yeah. the fact that hunger signals are a signal, that we take action on it. Pain is also a signal, people. <laughs> so that should be actioned <laughs> because it's not normal. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's fascinating, right? Because it doesn't take a lot to put to fix a lot of those things. And no, your body, your body responds to positive change very, very quickly. Correct. And it's because a uh, your body can usually remember not feeling that and b your body isn't meant to feel broken down, your body wants to take steps to actually recover and be healthy and feel great. And if you just edge it towards that it'll go in that direction like a little child yeah yeah and it's like the, the whole the body's like ability to heal itself is is fascinating um to me at least and like all, all the way down to like i've noticed um a couple of weeks ago 
I, uh, I sliced my finger like almost off, like a chunk of it oh, wow. off with oh, a wow. razor blade on accident. Um, oh. And I remember like last year I did something similar, cut my hand, it took like six weeks to heal. And now that I'm significantly healthier than I was, it took like three days. Yes. <laughs> right. And it's like, like it's, you know, when it, when your body's not dealing with trying to keep everything that should be functioning well, like, if it's, you know, I don't know how you call that. Right. Like when you have, when you have, you know, toxins in your body and parasites in your body and you're like not feeding it well. And like, it's trying, it's doing a lot of work just to keep you going. Correct. But when you sort of get everything going properly, then when you're, when you injure yourself, it's like, oh, I can focus all my attention on that and get it done quick. This is, this is the same though as other stress loads in the body. So if we have a to-do list with 180 things on it, you add one more thing and it's, it's like, you know, it's not going to get done right away. You're, you're very busy with the other 180 things. If you are down to three items in your inbox and an email comes in, that's getting actioned and tasked right away, right? So that's the same. We can all relate to that, but we don't think about that in our body. But if your body is working on, like you said, parasites and illnesses and crappy nutrition and 14 hours a day of being sedentary and improper sleep, cutting your finger is not the priority that's getting dealt with. That's behind the 180 other things in your to-do yeah, yeah, it's got bigger things to, to, to worry about right now. It'll get around to fixing that at some point. Yes, yes. Our body heads towards survival above all else. And, it, you know, fitness and nutrition are key to that because that is basic maintenance 101. So I think this actually, it drives really nicely into my next question, which is your driving force, right? So the flip side of the common enemy is, um, is your driving force. And just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or um, Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it that you fight for, right? Why do you do what you do? I love working with people and getting results they're the ones who actually get the results, but just helping people with everything that we've just been talking about, showing a different way and getting those results. And it li literally, without exaggerating, I get texts and or emails and or, you know, Facebook, Instagram comments every single week about, wow, I can't believe how different my body feels. I can't believe the changes I'm seeing in my life. And those changes are not limited to health and fitness. It's not like, oh, wow, I have a bicep now. It is people are interacting with me differently. I'm happier. I'm getting more done at work. I have different relationships. It's a whole life. is more profitable. <laughs> yes. It's a whole life change. Um, right. People are, people end up leaving jobs they don't like. They end up making huge life changes because their bodies feel better. Um, but I remember one client who said that she had gone into a store before she started working with me and they sort of pushed her off and then she went into the store afterwards. I mean, her posture was taller. She had a sparkle in her eye and they treated her totally differently. And she was just amazed by this, but it's your physical presence in the world that's just, you know, out there. But uh, yeah. I think I do what I do because I don't have a single day of my life where I think, oh man, I just really don't want to go help that client get a better life. And it's just so fun to me to see people experience this monumental growth and shift and change and education and things they didn't know before and moving differently and 
I could go on. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a I, great song. I, I've been amazed how making those changes in my own life have changed so much more than just like yeah. I, the reason I got, I wanted to do the work was because I've got children that, you know, I, um, one of my last podcast guests said that age is a privilege and not everyone yeah. has the privilege. Right. So, you know, you should, you should take with it, you know, the, the responsibility to have that. And I was, and I, it really stuck, stuck with me. And like, yeah. one of the things that like I started this last year was, was like, I want to be healthy when my kids are growing up, right? I want to be healthy when they're having kids, right? I want to be there to still go hiking with them or take my grandkids kayaking. And I'm like, I know that I have to put in the work now in order to not have a rusty beater when I get to that age, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and like, so that's what I was expecting to happen, right? I was expecting to get healthier. Mm -hmm. But the things that you mentioned just a second ago were none of the things that I, I wasn't expecting any of that. I wasn't expecting to have better posture. I wasn't expecting to have people notice the way that you look is different. I wasn't expecting my business to get more profitable and my ability to have ideation, right? And, and like actually run through and do get things done, get better. And yet all those things have happened. <laughs> yes. In the Buddhist philosophy, there's something called the wheel of life. And I don't remember how many spokes it has on it. Six. I've seen other iterations of this, eight, 10, 12, but they're, they're all interrelated. So it's your spirituality, your creativity, your education, your nutrition, your home environment, your relationships, your social life, your physical body. It, it's all spokes on a wheel. And you can't just take one of those spokes out and work just on one because they're all interrelated and they always will be. So it always comes as a surprise to people that suddenly they're, you know, I've had clients that take on the Marie Kondo home cleaning project and freshen up their home or change jobs or, you know, get a divorce with something that wasn't working and move on to something that is, et cetera. So I think it, it does come as a surprise that it's interrelated, but these things are because that your body literally is, is the root foundation through which you're living your life experience. Your five senses are in your body yeah, and yeah. that's how everything is passing through. So you're not as capable at work without that foundation. And again, as we've already said, it doesn't need to be crazy. You don't need to be Arnold Schwarzenegger in the gym. It's taking a 20 minute walk in the morning and then making sure you're eating your vegetables. You know, it's just basic stuff. Yeah, I, uh, um, yeah one of the other unexpected things that's happened is uh, I have been asked if I was a teenager like three oh. times in the last couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Which, uh, you know, because I, I have a 10 year old son and they're like, oh, it's so nice of you to take your younger brother out. I'm like, he's actually my son. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, your you know, whole essence that's, uh, is, is your whole essence has changed. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's super cool. So my next question for you is more practical then, right? Yes. Um, I call this the hero's tool belt. And just like every superhero has a tool belt that's got awesome gadgets like batarangs or web slingers or laser eyes or a big magical hammer. Um, I want to talk about top one or two tools that you couldn't live without in your business. Could be anything from your notepad to your calendar, to your marketing tools, to your product delivery, to something that you use, like a, a protocol you use with all of your clients that you just couldn't live without. Um, so what is something that you think is absolutely essential to getting your job done? Um, I don't even know if this, is, if this is too broad of an answer, so if it is, just tell me, but uh, my iPhone is quite essential. So because I have a job where I'm not sitting at a desk for eight hours, 
I am back and forth. Um, I do at the, for the last six months, actually, um, we are sitting in my home studio and then I have a commercial space that is my commercial studio. So I'm back and forth between the two all day. Um, but even in between clients, I can quickly send a text. I can answer something. I can book my sessions on my iPhone. I literally couldn't run my business without my phone. I heard earlier today that the average person spends two, no, three hours a day on their iPhone. Mine is more like seven or eight because that's where my social media is coming from. That's where my booking system is from. That's, that's, that is my business sitting right there on my phone. Yeah, yeah. I have I have been blown away by how much of my business I can run from my phone nowadays. Yeah. Um, or my tablet. Um, it's kind of insane, actually. And yeah. I have been I've been in the process of trying to get myself off because I do a lot of digital work and trying to get myself off of my computer more and more onto my phone. And that's oh, just oh, spe the the specific reason for that. And this might be different than where you're at, but one of the things that I've noticed is my phone is really really good at management. And mm -hmm. my computer is really, really good at creation. And oh. I'm trying to get myself out of the creation and more into the management because I'm hiring a team and growing staff and stuff like that. And closing the lid on my laptop and pulling out my phone or my tablet means that I have to focus more on the management stuff because that's, it's a better device suited for that. Interesting. <laughs> and phones right yeah. now are, I mean, I could, I happen to be on my computer just because we're on a larger screen, but it, I could create this on my phone as well. So I think phones have yeah, really yeah. moved a long way in the last couple of years because we basically have all the same apps on the phone as we do on the computer. The yeah, other- Yeah, they're, they're, they're certainly blurring the lines between devices. <laughs> Absolutely. So the other tool that is really um, indispensable for me is Shopify. So that is a- e-commerce management tool and that's where all my product sales go through inventory management um some of my client billing goes through there so i i live and die by shopify you have your courses and stuff there too i haven't been but that's something to look into yeah i was just curious um i guess i don't, I don't know if they can or not because we we do a lot of uh, our clients their courses through uh like WordPress Learn Dash WooCommerce sort of setup. Okay. Um, I was just curious if you could if you could do if they did any sort of learning management inside of Shopify, but I'm not sure if they if they offer that or not. I don't know actually. They have a lot of tools that I'm not even using. Honestly, they Shopify is a behemoth at this point, and they have so many different tools. And that's actually one of the reasons that I think it's an amazing tool because if I wanted to. It, it almost wouldn't matter what commerce problem I had to solve. They probably have a tool for that. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Speaking of heroic tools, I want to take a few minutes to tell you about a tool we built that powers the Hero Show and is now this show's primary sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. 
The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. You're listening to The Hero Show, unlocking the power of influence and success. So my next question for you then is your own personal heroes, right? So every hero has their mentors, right? Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had Obi-Wan Kenobi, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, Spider-Man has Uncle Ben, right? Who were, who were some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors, speakers or authors, maybe peers who are a couple years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far? One of my original heroes is my great aunt Ruth. She was the very first Dean of Nursing at the university where I actually attended many, many years later. Um, and she was, this was going back many, many years. She would be over a hundred now if she was still alive. So she was an original career woman back in the time when if you got married, you were asked to leave your job and she decided to give her life to basically being a feminist and to creating a role at the university which at that time wasn't acknowledged because the male departments got to have a dean and the female ones did not and so she fought to make that happen but as a child of course i didn't recognize any of that what I noticed was that she had amazing clothing, amazing jewelry, and amazing art. And those are things that I witnessed as a child. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. She travels and she goes and buys really unique pieces and she brings them back and puts them in an apartment. So I live in an apartment. I have a, you know, jewelry. Nice jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so she was actually the first person to kind of allow me a doorway into a different kind of adult lifestyle. And she really was a bit of a mentor to me. She was a second grandma. And in my studio space, right beside where I work, I actually have a vintage suitcase that used to belong to her. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and it, it just reminds me of the whole, this whole concept that I, I like, I always look at my life um, and, you know, politically we've had this huge discussion about privilege um, and, and I'm not a huge fan of the way it gets discussed politically, but in my own head, the, uh, my, my definition of privilege is the work that my parents and my, you know, the, the people that came before me did yes. so that I can start, like, I can start by standing on the shoulders of giants, right? That's um, and, and it's like, you know, your, your, your aunt's work in the yeah. feminist movement to make it so that women can do some of the things that they can do. That's right make it so my wife can do what she does and you can do what you do. Right? Right. So you, we have, we have the Absolutely. privilege of history. We do. Um, and it really is astonishing how recent in history. I remember the day that my grandma told me she used to work at a newspaper and they, she told me that when they got married, they got fired from their job. And I was like, what? That wasn't that yeah. long ago, you know? And I completely agree. 
the, the world has been paved in a totally different way because of some of that work. And one of my ancestors who I actually knew in person, you know, helped create that world where women can be recognized in the medical community as having valid education and having valid professional careers. And that seems, we take that for granted, really. Yeah, yeah. And it's certainly worthwhile of the uh, moniker hero, right? Yes. Uh, because, you know, they're, they're the ones that let us do uh, do what we do, right? And, you know, I tell people all the time, like my my dad, he grew up um, without a dad, right? His, his father passed away when he was eight in a car wreck. Oh, and wow. And my grandmother grew up in, in that time frame, right? Where it was mm. very difficult for a woman to provide yes. for her family. Um, and she had four kids. And my dad wow. had to start working at like 14 and help put his brothers through school mm. and help take care of his mom. And it's like, he had nothing, right? He came from nothing and built himself up to, you know, one of <laughs> one of the uh, premier scientists in the world, cool. um, which was super cool. He got to work on like the uh, the space shuttles and, oh, wow. uh, and some things like that. And did some really cool work. Awesome. Um, but like, he set he set me at a place where like the place that I started is so much further ahead than where he started right which means I can go further than he ever went and so much so many of us have that um that kind of privilege right that comes from the heroes that came before us I agree with that yes it's it's quite fascinating how much has changed in a couple of generations but the fact that my aunt literally had to give up her personal life she couldn't ever get married to actually fight for that is, you know, that's just to your point. That we would crazy. never have to face right now. We don't have to make that trade-off. I don't have to make a trade-off between my personal life and my career because 50, yeah, yeah. 60 years ago, this past you can, you can choose to be a mother and a career woman. Correct. <laughs> yes, correct. That's, that's awesome. So, Last question for you is your guiding principles, right? It's one of the things that make heroes heroic is that they live by a code, right? So for instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, talk about top one or two principles that you regularly use in your life. Maybe a principle you wish you knew when you first started out on your own hero's journey. Mm -hmm. One of my main principles is to be real slash authentic slash honest. So that gets executed in a whole lot of different ways. But one of the ways is I openly share on Instagram my own struggles with health and fitness. This doesn't come easy even to a professional. And so instead of posting photos of me doing yoga out in the mountains and pretending that this is just falling into my lap, you know, this week, last week, I wrote a post on how I didn't actually want to work out. I didn't want to do my daily routine and how to kind of step back into that. Even when I don't want to, I'm real about weight loss and weight gain. I'm real about being tired. But then in another way in the studio, I translate that to clients by being that practitioner who, when I'm observing them for the first time, instead of just kind of taking notes and then putting it in a file and never telling them what I see, I share the information with them so they can walk out with it. And Every bit of that reality is actually meant to help people with that wheel of life where we can incorporate the idea of alignment and that starts with the body. It starts with what we're eating. It starts with that movement. But what I would like for all of my clients is what I get to feel, which is, and I, and I had to work on it, you know, for 
over a decade is everything is actually the way that I want it to be. And that doesn't mean that everything is flowing smoothly every day. I, you know, I get flustered. I am late, things like that. You have but, a 10-year-old. I mean, how, exactly. <laughs> he probably exactly. regularly throws wrenches into your plans. A hundred percent. But I'm not living any portion, portion of my life out of alignment where I am doing something fundamentally that I don't want to do. I am not in a re relationships that I don't want to be in. I'm not in a career I don't want to be in. Nothing in that wheel is kind of way out of whack um, for any extended period of time. And so I hope that by being that exemplary model for that and actually walking my clients through that path that they can actually get there. So that is why that is one of my guiding principles, but it really is, you know, it's alignment, authenticity, so honesty. Just a, a further sort of question on something we were talking about earlier yeah. that I think lines up really well with that. Um, is what, what, once you get to a point where like, you know, for lack of a better metaphor, everything is firing, right? All everything you're filing on all cylinders um, and everything is working in the way that you want. Um, does it sort of, it becomes easier to notice when something is oh, yeah. wrong. Yes, for sure. Right? You're like, this relationship isn't good or That's this right. whatever, like it, 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 it doesn't feel good. Um, and it's far more obvious than when you have a lot of things wrong. Right, when your nutrition isn't good and your fitness isn't good and all these other things, having, you know, a negative relationship in your life is not that different from everything else. Correct. So that comes down to two things. One is awareness. And two is if you've ever done a cleanse or any kind of more extreme dietary program, those usually last for between 12 and 21 yeah. days. I did and a then, liver cleanse and a couple parasite cleanse. They were crazy. Oh, I'm sure that that is crazy. Then if you go and you eat something that specifically was excluded from the diet, usually your body's like, whoa, what is this? So for example, if you go and you have pizza after doing a parasite cleanse, you're going to notice much more acutely that that is not probably what your body wants. Um, and so I think that once you start cleaning the house in a proverbial sense, you're going to notice the things that don't fit there anymore when you've got clutter all over the place, um, they're not gonna notice something that's kind of out of place. So I think that just getting that awareness, a lot of people actually are very afraid of having that awareness because they think it's going to turn them either sensitive or soft. But what it actually does is give you great boundaries about what to get rid of so that there's not just kind yeah. of stuff everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other thing I, I've noticed, which is, and this is specific in the diet realm, but people are worried that I'm going to give up things that I know I want now. Never. Right. And you're like, you know, you, a lot of, a lot of the things that you think you couldn't live without are actually their addictions you have yeah. um, that your body doesn't actually need. And once you break the addiction, the desire goes away with it. Correct. Yes. I always tell people I eat exactly what I want. There is an applied assumption that that means that I'm eating pizza and potato chips, but truly that my body does not love those things. I sometimes have them, but um, my body doesn't really love those things. And so you end up loving things that you never thought possible. And again, our culture has kind of told yeah. us pizza is delicious, chips are delicious, vegetables are gross. So then you're kind of surprised that your body wants the foods that nature has provided, which is kind of an interesting marketing problem. But, um, we usually yeah. do skew over towards those healthier choices because that's what our, that's actually what our body actually wants. But 
you know, I yeah. chocolate. And the other, the other thing I've noticed sort of in that same line too, is that like, if everything is good, like if you got everything like in line, if you're going to go out with friends and they're all going out for pizza, you can go out and enjoy pizza with them. And it's not going to like wreck your body because your body is healthy. Not. It can handle having, Correct. it can handle having a pizza, you know, every Correct. once in a while and not like break down on you. Correct. But I find that um, because I've gone through my own nutrition, I mean, I, I have a nutrition certification because I went through my own pathway with that. Um, those very much what you said, those cravings aren't there. I'm not sitting on my couch unable to think about anything else but pizza or oreos <laughs> that just disappears <laughs> because actually that's a signal of a lack of health too because honestly those foods don't even actually exist in nature there's no oreo tree there's no pizza tree so <sighs> uh it's which is sad because oreos oreos have a special place i think in every american's heart <laughs> Especially when you take out the center of at least a couple and you do the double stack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a thing that everyone should experience at least once in their life. It's true. <laughs> More than once, okay. for sure. But so, so what we're looking for is not to not ever have that experience. It's to not sit there and have obsessive thoughts where we're thinking about eating it and sneaking yeah. in the pantry or eating a whole box at once. It's to actually make those moments special and make you smile. My, I, I've actually, and this is, I know some people are going to think this is insane. My wife currently thinks this is insane. Um, is like, we do actually have Oreos in the house, um, but I like a different type of Oreo that my wife likes. So we'll buy a package and like my package of Oreos will go stale before I eat them all. Oh, wow. I was like, how does that happen? Because <laughs> like, um, huh. you're like the only, yeah, cause I don't, I like, I don't, I don't crave them. Yeah. It's just like, you know, I'll have one Oreo and I'm good for like several days. <laughs> you need to, I don't even know if they make little Halloween packages of Oreos, but that sounds like what you need. You need like the little ones. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's basically a uh, wrap on our interview, but I do like to finish every interview with a simple challenge I call the Heroes Challenge. Um, and I do this really as a selfish thing so I can get access to stories I might not otherwise find. Awesome. Um, so the question is simple. Do you have someone in your network or in your life that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are Absolutely. they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story on our show? Am I telling you this right now? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Hey. Who are they and why do you think they should come tell their, tell their story on our show? First person that comes to mind. Um, the first person who comes to mind is my friend Mickey Brule. She used to own a food truck and she is a vegan chef who now is actually a vegan chef for me. And she has taken a completely, even when she had a food truck, most food trucks are greasy, etc. So she actually always kind of marched to her own beat and now she's creating a totally new kind of business where she's serving vegan food and she's taking that digitally and she's you know spreading the mission of health and deliciousness and really serving but she's serving amazing food and making people's lives better that's awesome. Yeah. So we'll reach out after and see if we can get an introduction to her awesome. and get her on the show and get her to yes. tell her story. Yeah. Um, so in comic books, there's always the crowd at the end who claps for the acts of heroism. 
Um, so as we close, what I want to do is I want to find out where people can find you if they want your help in the future. Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, you know what, Janice, I would really love to for you to help me. Um, and I think more important than where is who are the right types of people to raise their hand and say, you know what, I would really like to work with you. So we'll start with the right type of people. The right type of people are people who are at a moment where they feel like their body is hindering them in some way. And that doesn't need to be a super significant way. I've had people, um, I've had CEOs who back when we used to fly, um, told me that, that it was embarrassing to get an off an airplane because the cricks and the creaks and the aches, and then they would start to engage in professional meetings and clearly be in pain. So that was the, the moment for that person that made him say, I need your services. Other people have told me that um, they're being held back by doing their hobby. That could be gardening. It could be playing with grandkids. It could be, uh, there's a lot of different hobbies out there. Um, I've had people who've been motivated by wanting to do uh, sports or athletics and just can't kind of close close that loop. And I've had people that tell me that they go to the gym and just feels like they're working really, really hard and not getting any results. So basically all of those folks have one thing in common. They have a reason why they feel like things are just not linking up with their body and that their body is actually holding them back from their life goals. Those can be tiny little goals, they can be huge goals. Um, and I really work with people who want that underlying education. So if you just want kind of choreography and a list of things to do, not your girl. If you actually want to learn what's underneath that, it's like body school where you're going to learn, and it could be nutrition school, but you, you want to dive underneath there. Um, I love people that have a huge curiosity about why. I want people to ask questions and get involved. It's your body, so knowing why and knowing what's happening under the hood of your body um and then the, it can be people of any age so i serve people digitally one-on-one -on -one. i also serve people digitally in groups and then i do have a live studio space um so you can travel to me or i can travel to you so my business name is called my body couture it's three words first word is my my second word is body b-o-d-y third word is couture c-o-u-t-u-r-e and I am at the dot com. I also am on Facebook and Instagram under those names. I write for Elephant Journal, so you can look me up under my first name. I'm on LinkedIn under my first name. And then I have a YouTube channel under my first name. Awesome. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Janice. It's been fascinating to talk to you about this, uh, this subject. Um, you know, it's been a recent fascination of my life. So um, thank you for coming in and sharing your knowledge with our audience. Um, and if you're listening to this and you're in that place, um, I can tell you from personal experience, learning that underlying stuff in your body um, is really impactful in a lot of ways, especially like if you're like me, you're an entrepreneur, um, it impacts your business in ways you probably would not even imagine. Um, and my business is more profitable. I've got more staff members. We've got more clients. I'm being, um, got more revenue coming in than I ever thought possible. Um, and a lot of it I can directly attribute back to getting healthier, right? And getting myself into a place where I have those things. So if you're looking at that, definitely take the time to reach out to someone like Janice. Um, and Janice, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate your thoughts and your education here. Have any uh, final words of wisdom for our audience before I hit this uh, stop record button? Yes. 
get up off your bum. <laughs> if there's only one thing you take away from today, it's really that math about how much you might be sitting and develop that conscious awareness about how much you're sitting. So whether you ever see a professional, whether you ever see a practitioner about your body, that is the number one thing you can do is just get that awareness of how much time in a day you're spending sitting. Yeah. I had uh, someone tell me a number of years ago that uh, um, sitting is death. It is death. And you know what I'm gonna say? Superheroes don't sit. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much for coming on today, Janice. Really appreciate it. Thank you.